Rewatching Good TV Podcast Network presents The Sorkin Cast. And welcome to Rewatching Good TV Network's Sorkin Cast. This is episode four of the podcast, and my name is Matt Murdock. And you can find me at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Kind of a tricky URL, but you'll get there. Uh, that's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast, contact links, podcatcher links, and if you would take a time, uh, there's a link to iTunes there. I would very much appreciate it if you're liking this podcast that you would subscribe, first of all, and leave me a written review, if possible, um, just telling me how I'm doing so far so that uh, when I get on the other side to the feedback podcast, which will be episode 12 of this podcast, uh, I can maybe make some adjustments from there on out. I would love to hear from you in terms of your iTunes reviews. It also helps me stay more noticeable among other great television podcasts out there. So uh, you're helping me out in multiple ways if you subscribe and leave a review. Very much appreciated. Uh, I'll thank all the people who have left reviews in that 12th feedback episode as well, up to that point that I recorded, which will probably be about a week before it airs. Anyway... Uh, what are we dealing with this week? We are talking about West Wing, which is the Sorkin series that we're covering the first 11 episodes of before our feedback podcast. And if you want to leave me some feedback regarding any of these episodes, feel free to send an email to SorkinCast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at SorkinCast, or you can call the Rewatching Good TV hotline, listener line, so to speak, 314-669-1840. And uh, just leave a message, or in your message, please leave that you are talking about the Sorkin cast so that I know which podcast to uh, put your feedback in. And that is it for the podcast. So we are, again, talking about West Wing, episode one, four, pardon me, of season one, entitled Five Votes Down. Now, this one actually has a story that was written by Patrick Cadel and Lawrence O'Donnell Jr., but Aaron Sorkin took the duties of writing the teleplay. It was directed by Michael Lehman, and it first aired on October 13, 1999. It was viewed by an estimated 9.1 million viewers. And Geos.tv, the Global Episode Opinion Survey, ranks this episode 74th out of 156 episodes. So, just kind of like right in the middle. Uh, in a way, just a little bit on the plus side of the middle, I guess. And that's it for your information. How about an episode summary for this particular episode? Five votes down. The White House must deal with tricky financial disclosure matters, but more importantly, reobtaining five lost votes for a gun law. The struggle for votes costs the White House in political capital to Vice President John Hoynes and costs Leo McGarry on a personal level when his wife leaves him. So, there is your episode summary. We have well, a couple of segments that we do up front before we start talking about the episode in general. And the first one is our walk and talk. And this week's walk and talk, these little mini-meetings that happen as uh, the camera is following people walking around, it's kind of an exception because normally we have the walk and talk in the West Wing proper, where people are just going from one office to another or what have you. But this one takes place, at the beginning of the episode, takes place in a building where the president has been giving a speech, and it follows the staff as they walk through the, the bowels of the building in order to get to his car. And it's a really long one, actually. It, it starts, actually, with Josh and CJ talking about the loss of the votes. Uh, I left that little bit out, and I just went straight to the good bits, as I call it, the good bits. It's where Toby and the president are talking about the president's delivery of the speech that Toby wrote most of, evidently. 37 pages as opposed to two and a half paragraphs that Sam wrote. Anyway, here is the walk and talk. Toby! Sir, what'd you think? I thought my work was outstanding, Mr. President. I thought you would. Hey, 
Thanks for asking. Couldn't help but notice you got a little extemporaneous there in the D section. Oh, you noticed that, did you? Yes, sir, I did. Yes, I did a little polish right up there on my feet. Yes, indeed. Right in front of everybody. <clears throat> I looked to the side at one point, you know. I half expected to see you coming at me with a salad fork. Well, but for the Secret Service agents restraining me, yeah. sir. Thank God for the Secret Service. Bless hey there, heart. fella. She deserves a nice room and some supper. <laughs> you like doing that, don't you, sir? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Charlie. Yes, sir. What did you think of the speech? Me? Yes, you. I uh, thought it was... It means the text of the speech, Charlie, discounting the little improv in the D section. I mean the entire speech, Charlie, and in particular, the delivery. I thought it was excellent. See? See, <laughs> See I think what Charlie's trying to say is that in this case, the singer outdistanced the song. Really? Uh, what I heard Charlie say was that the text was user-proof, although you did your level best to, to disprove that in the D section. You know what, Toby? Sir. You're what my mother calls a pain in the ass. Well, that's what my mother calls it, too, sir. Uh, oh, Mr. President. Yes, Charlie, by the way, did the first lady call? The first lady called at 840, sir. She wished you luck and told me to tell you to take your back medicine. My back is I fine. I have it here, sir. Those damn things make me goofy. Broadly seemed quite adamant. I described her tone as being... You don't have to describe her tone to me, Charlie. I've been married to it for 32 sir, years. I don't want to get in trouble with Give the first lady. Give me the medicine, Charlie. Thank you. Have a good night. I'll see you in the morning. Yes, sir. Thank you. I absolutely love the development of the relationship uh, between Toby and President Bartlett as we go along in this series. So uh, here's a taste of what their relationship has evolved to at this point, nonetheless. And, and they do it in good humor, but nonetheless, it, it's uh, it's going to be a great ride for you folks that have, uh, are just watching this series for the first time. Uh, the quick jabs, there are always what I call quick jabs, either personal or political or professional, and here are some of those from this week's episode. Happy days are here again. She likes it. Who? The president. We try and avoid having the president make aesthetic decisions. I made the decision. Right. And I don't mean to step on your toes, but you might want to rethink marrying the line, kids are dead, kids are dead, happy days are here again. My wife's got a great neck. This will certainly call attention to it. Would you stop? You spend too much money. And you can squeeze the life out of a nickel better than any 10 people I know. Well, excuse me for not having made 40000 a pop on the lecture circuit. Stop reading the disclosure reports. They're none of your business. They're going to be printed in the newspaper in two days. CJ, I'm curious about the president's farm in Manchester. The property value increased $750,000. What's that due to? Secret service improvements. Can you go into detail, please? The property now includes a helipad and the ability to run a global war from the sun porch. <laughs> and there's your little mini segments that I do every week. Let's now get into our first clip. And in this first clip, the staff finds out that they are five votes down on a bill regarding guns. And they stay up late trying to figure out who has changed their vote. Leo gets home to find out that he has actually forgotten his wife's anniversary. And the next day, Toby finds out that his financial disclosure statement may be perceived as him having tampered with the stock market. What's up? I want you to look calm while I'm telling you this. Tell me what? We lost five. What do you mean? 802. Five votes jumped the fence. Are you kidding me? Nice job looking calm. Are you kidding me? Leo just got off the phone with a whip. Last nose count, we're five votes down. What the hell happened? We don't know. Give me names. We're finding out. Josh, I yeah. Botrell? No, it's not Botrell. I've only got two, but Botrell isn't one of them. Katz and Moyer and Wick. I could have called that. Sam, could you slide me a soda, please? Everyone's someplace else. All I got was O'Bannon. I didn't get O'Bannon. That's three. Who'd you get? Katz and Moyer and Christopher Wick. They got bad information. There's no way Chris Wick jumps the fence. The president just told a ballroom full of people and anyone who reads the newspaper that we're going to pass 802 on Wednesday. We got a 72-hour fight. CJ, what's the press room going to be talking about the next few days? Financial disclosure. It's that time again. It's that time again. What are you worth there, Toby? Well, I own this tuxedo, and I've got 23 bucks in my pocket. That's good. Financial disclosure it is. No, I, I mean, that's good. She's right. CJ, feed them human interest, not just, look, we're disclosing assets. I mean, people will really get a kick out of reading about how much money you guys have, especially when they find out you don't have any. How do we get the votes? Well, setting aside Christopher Wick, and I agree with Josh, someone's getting that wrong. Katz and Moyer and O'Bannon, I buy. I'm going to guess the other two are Tillinghouse LeBrant. That's what we're going to hear tomorrow morning. Now, the two of them are going to vote together on this, so we really only need to get to one. And whether it's Tillinghouse or LeBrant, and it should be Tillinghouse, we're going to need help. Yeah. Who? You're not going to like it. Who? 
Vice President. No way. Leo. No way. Tillinghouse and the Vice President. I'm not using Hoyne. We're five votes short on 802. And what can you possibly do about that at 2 o'clock in the morning that you can't do during normal business hours? I can do things, Jenny. I wake people up. I meet with key staff. It's a long Leo. Work. What's this? It's a wristwatch. For me? Yeah. From you? Yeah. For what? Our anniversary. It's pretty unusual. And I'm saying I really couldn't say. What made you buy the stock? I used the website. I like the company. $5,000 worth? That's right. And now the stock is worth $125,000? <laughs> Leila, I'm as surprised as anybody. <laughs> I just... Did you know that 71% of the increase happened the day after Cal Poly professor Theodore McGregor testified to the Commerce Committee on the future of Internet stocks? Of course I didn't. I, I'm telling you that I, I never pay any attention to Yes. Excuse me, Toby. Yeah. Sam says they got all five. Tillinghouse. Yeah. Thank you. The White House Counsel's Office is going to want to investigate. Leela, I've got 48 hours to a crucial floor vote. Is there any Toby, way that... you were the one who arranged for McGregor to testify in front of Commerce in the first place. Are you telling me you didn't know what he was going to say to the committee? You know that manipulating the stock market or trying to or conspiring to manipulate the market in any way is a federal crime, right? Leela, are you saying that I should be talking to a lawyer? <laughs> Toby, I'm saying you're talking to one right now. So just, just to let you know up front, uh, for time's sake, in order to keep this podcast running fairly within the hour time range, uh, I tend to cut a lot out of clips and I, I really did it this week more so for time's sake. And I kind of apologize for having to do that. But the gist of the story is here. So first off, let's just say that the episodes of this show start to do kind of a typical thing just in general that a lot of TV shows do uh, when they have a larger ensemble cast they start to make episodes more singularly character-centric. And this one is obviously centric to Leo. And so I'll, let me just talk about him real quick. It's not good of him to get so obsessed with things that he forgets his own anniversary. Especially if you look at this right now by playing the result of the episode. It's really easy to play the result in this stuff when we're rewatching because, or when I'm podcasting about it because I've already seen the episode and hopefully so have you. Um, but I can definitely see how a man in Leo's position uh, might make this mistake, especially in the first year of the administration, because this is probably the first anniversary uh, since Bartlett's been in office, and, and Leo's still trying to change the world. Another thing that you get from this clip is just how valuable the rest of the staff of the White House is, too. Um, I love the comment, and I don't think I included this in the clip, but at one point Leo says two things you don't want to see made are laws and sausages. And the funny thing is, is that is exactly what this story does. Uh, it lets you see how laws are made. And the fact that the, the staff gets counts from the whip and that they go after the dissenters uh, in the way that they do seems pretty realistic to me as to what might happen in Washington. Um, I also really like how Sam is being used in this episode as more than just a pontificator. He, he does get uh, some pontification in, naturally, but uh, I, I like how his two and a half paragraphs as opposed to Toby's 37 pages in that is that's a pretty funny bit um, but it does go also it demonstrates uh, his value to this White House in terms of crafting the message as well as demonstrating uh, especially in this first clip that he really knows politics too by guessing who two of the other dissenters are so that's pretty cool uh, something else as long as we're going to play the result in the episode now, is how funny the financial disclosure thing is for everyone. Um, I, I know when I first saw this episode, not really knowing Toby, uh, the scene about him possibly manip manipulating stocks, I kind of took it seriously because the show was new and I was like thinking, okay, 
maybe there's a bad guy from within the administration. You know, I was kind of looking for whoever that might be. And I was, I for a moment, I thought it was going to be Toby. Um, but I think by the time you get to the solution that Sam presents later on in the episode, you you realize that Toby is pretty much just a victim of some really strange set of coincidences. And I guess that's all I have for that clip. Uh, let's move on to clip two, where after Josh has talked with Sam about how to deal with the dissenters and Leo is making preparations to make up missing his wife's anniversary, that all happens off clip. We pick up on clip with Josh going to Leo with a strategy and then implementing it with one of the congressmen. Sam ends up giving Toby a taste of the medicine that he has been receiving about Lori in regards to Toby's situation. And while Josh's intimidation tactic works to get three votes back, he also has to deal with the young congressman, Christopher Wick, to get that congressman's vote back. I'm going to see Katz and Moore. When? Right now. What are you going to give him? Nothing more than a wake-up call. I want your permission to kick his ass. You want to dangle his job in front of him? Yeah. No. I want to let him hear the branch creak. We do that, it doesn't work. We can't do it again. If it doesn't work, I back off. If it doesn't work, we give Katz and Moore a metro link. We let O'Bannon order off the menu. If it does work, I think we get the other four votes no problem. When word gets out, we're not screwing around. I won with 52% of the vote. If the NRA makes me a target the next election, I lose, plain and simple. Ask me two years from now, I'll be there for you. 55,000 more people will be shot and killed with guns two years from now, but that's very much beside the point. What is your point? Forgive my bluntness, and I say this with all due respect, Congressman, but vote yes, or you're not even going to be on the ballot two years from now. How do you figure? You're going to lose in the primary. There's no Democrat running against me. Sure there is. Who? Whomever we pick. How much trouble am I in? Well, there's two kinds of trouble here. Actual trouble and PR trouble. Talk about actual trouble. You're in no actual trouble. Really? Absolutely not. Good. But I'd hire a lawyer anyway. Why? Because technically you've committed a felony punishable by imprisonment and fines reaching into the millions. All right, let's move away from actual trouble for a second and let's talk about perception. Yes. Right. We've done nothing wrong. Yet, the perception of those who would choose to glance only at a snapshot would be embarrassing. Say nothing of damaging to the president. Indeed. Why are you talking like this? Because I can't help but be reminded of a bright and energetic young White House deputy who took no end of admonition and grief because of a woman he was friends with. I totally backed you up on that. Which is why I couldn't be happier to help you. It's like being able to do something for my older brother. I'm your guy on this. What's your level of confidence? Absolutely none. Right. Who else knows about this? Anyone who saw the report. Everybody has the report, but you really have to study it. Excuse Abby's me, in. Toby, I was just heading out for lunch and I'm a little short. You wouldn't happen to have $125,000 I could borrow with you. <laughs> I got Katz and Moore. He's back? Along with O'Bannon and LeBrant. You got three. Chris Wick's waiting for me right now. I don't know what his story is, but I'm not that worried. You worried about Tillinghouse? I can't get him without the vice president. Leo's got to lighten up on that. Oh. Get Wick first and then we'll deal with it. Mm -hmm. With an issue as hot as gun control, I'm prepared to accept a lot of different points of view as being perfectly valid, but we can all get together on the grenade launcher, right? Josh. I put you in your seat. I got you elected to the House of Representatives. Yeah, now you guys think I'm on the leash. Look, I get taken for granted, Josh. I've one photo op with the president. One. Me and 16 other freshmen. That makes me weak. You're not serious. You're voting down a measure that would restrict the sale of deadly weapons because nobody invited you to the cool kids table? Got your attention. You know, I'm so sick of Congress, I could vomit. What do you want? Round of golf. President doesn't play golf. What does he play? Chess. Over brandy. A couple of White House photographers and we're fine. He's gonna kick your ass, you know. Whatever. You know, I really don't appreciate you calling me... Chris, that. you're a congressman. You gotta make that real. This time it was me in the mural room. Trust me when I tell you, you do not want to have this conversation with the guy who works next door. You guys take care. And here you go. Here's part of how the sausage is made, right? And especially in this part of the program. I guess you could say it, it's proof as to why Josh can be valuable to this White House in some ways, because he really seems to know how to 
tweak and twist things as far as Congress goes. But I'm not sure if I agree with how mean he is all of the time. I mean, I didn't include all of the talk with the first congressman, but if you saw the episode, you know that he really laid it on thick with that guy about like the watermelon and the band gazebo and just with such non-caring and sarcasm. I mean, it was scary. Uh, and I think if I was a congressman, I would have flipped for sure the way he was talking to me like that. On the other hand, you've got Wick here, this young guy uh, who doesn't even know that he's supposed to be scared. Uh, it makes Josh stoop to being a, a guy who doles out political favors. And I guess in the long run, in terms of having to give up something, it's, you know, in terms of the budget or whatever, or big spending, as Sam predicted, they might have to concede. That's a positive. But again, when you play the result at the end of the episode, really his tactics give Hoynes a way to, to make it a political victory for himself. So I guess my big question to you is, in the end, do you think that Josh did the right thing with his tactics or not? And you can let me know at SorkinCast at gmail.com or you can just tweet at SorkinCast or you can call 314-669-1840. Now, not in the clip, but I did include it a little bit in the quotes, is Leo trying to make up for his wife. And uh, that kind of produces a couple of shining moments from his assistant, Margaret. And I just want to talk about Margaret. I love all of the assistants in the show. Dolores Lanningham, Margaret, Donatella. I love all of them. Uh, For the most part, I tend to like them more than some of the key staff members sometimes. So I just want to give a shout out to Margaret in this episode uh, for coming down on him for spending too much money. And in the long run, you know, Leo should know that money can't fix something like this. He, He is right now not seeing the forest for the trees either. He's just looking at this anniversary as a tree and he's not seeing all of the other damage that he's been causing with Jenny the whole time and we'll get to that more later and I guess finally in this clip the the other big thing to talk about is there's the pontificating Sam the Sam we all know and love from the first three episodes oh man Sam pontificate away brother Uh, it only took him to the second clip to be back on the lorry train this time And Sorkin just won't let Sam be anything else in some ways. And just looking at this episode in general, it's kind of a pontificating episode in itself. A gun issue is clearly something that often divides left and right in many political discussions. And I find it kind of interesting that, in particular, at this White House staff, seems to be so much about gun control, yet... We're going to get into this next clip. Again, we're kind of playing the result. It becomes much more clear that the issue may not actually be about guns. So let's move on to that third clip where Leo comes up with an alternative to going after Tillinghouse through Hoynes. But when he approaches Mark Richardson of the Black Caucus, his arguments ensure that he will not get their votes. Off clip, he sets up a meeting with Hoynes. But on clip, when he gets home, he finds out that this is the last straw for his wife, and she leaves him. Wow. Wow is right. It is so beautiful. Excellent choice, my friend. Stop looking at me like that. You're talking about Jenny. My point being only that that it should flatter her neck in ways that are sure to please you. Can Mm -hmm. I try it on? No. Can I rub it against my teeth? No. Could we possibly talk about me? Are you saying I'm going to stretch it? Leo, I got four of five. I'm absolutely convinced we need the vice president to get Tillinghouse. We're all agreed on that. No. This needs a Texan. I had a different idea. What? I go to Richardson. We've already been through this with Richardson. The entire caucus. Let's not get them any more pissed off at us than they are already. I'll talk to Richardson alone. You have to do it quietly and right now. Margaret! Call me as soon as you got it. Yes, sir. I need to see Mark Richardson out of the office. Well, let me guess. Josh got Katsumori and the rest of them back in the boat. You came to me instead of Tillinghouse because you don't want to use Hoynes. We need this one, Mark. I'm voting no, Leo. Mark, it's all we could get right now, and you know it. You didn't work hard enough. We did. What happened to the Tech DC-9 and the Tech 22? What happened to the Striker 12 and the Street Sweeper? Guns are number one on my list of priorities, and I've never moved the president off of that. 
Keeping the White House strong is number one on your list of priorities. If the White House isn't strong, it doesn't really matter what number two on my list is. God, Mark. The bodies being wheeled into the emergency rooms are black. I mean, your penetrating insight is matched only by the courage displayed in the authorship of this bill. Oh, Mark, for God. Not the three-inch grip, but the two-inch grip with the 40-gauge barrel and the 30-round clip, not the 20-round clip, with a three-day wait to run a check to see if you're crazy. As if wanting the gun wasn't a pretty good heads-up in the first place. Oh, this is for show. You write a law that can save some lives, I'll sign it. In the meantime, please don't tell me how to be a leader of black men. You look like an idiot. Jenny? I'm still here. What's going on? Leo. What's going on? Honey, I'm so sorry you went to all this trouble. There wasn't any trouble. I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. I don't want to live like this. I just can't. I'm sorry about the anniversary. I just it's not the anniversary. It's everything. It's the whole thing. This is the most important thing I'll ever do, Jenny. I have to do it well. It's not more important than your marriage. It is more important than my marriage right now. These few years while I'm doing this, yes, it's more important than my marriage. I, I didn't decide to do this myself, Jenny. There were many the discussions. You can find the time to I'm five me. votes down, Jenny, and I need to win. I met with the staff. You made the time. I made the time tonight. You didn't make the time tonight. I hired a whole... Margaret phoned to confirm your 9 o'clock meeting with the vice president. I was going to slip out for 45 Leo. minutes. I was going to be right back. I can't. I don't suppose we could postpone this discussion until it's just the past couple of days. I have to go now. So as I started the idea in the last segment, let's look at what we are hearing about the bill itself. Now, while Sorkin may be pontificating a little bit about gun control and you know how we should have it, I think the interesting thing here is that he's also pontificating about how little can be done about it to even get like a bill through Congress. And unfortunately, what I think is most telling about this whole sequence of scenes is that getting this bill through seems to be much more important to this White House for the reason of giving kind of this a victory for the president, uh, probably because of a campaign promise or because right now the White House is looking weak. And I, I think that's also why Josh is so insistent that they need a Texan behind the bill, because that makes it look like a state that is usually typically on the opposite side of the issue from this particular White House in regards to gun control is actually behind the president. I think that's why Josh feels it's important. And that's about making the president looking strong. Now, Richardson's reasoning for not wanting to vote on the bill is probably the most damning uh, in, in terms of the bill itself. Uh, that it's mainly for show, that it doesn't really affect any of the game at all, and that small steps don't really matter if it doesn't do any good. And, you know, even Leo admits that everything else that this administration does is dependent upon the administration's ability to look like it can do something. So Sorkin is still getting in his pontificating, uh, but I like his angle here. Because he gets in real bits about the guns through Richardson. And he gets in criticism about probably just every single administration that's ever tried to do anything about gun control. Or, you know, even just about the politics of gun control in general. Uh, that message and image are probably more important to the people who can make the laws to change things. And that's, that's kind of damning to, to the political system. So, I I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the way Sorkin approached this issue. As for Leo now, I mean, this guy is having a t terrible 24 hours, isn't he? I mean, first off, let, let me just say that I'm sure Leo knows his wife better than I do, <laughs> even as a viewer. Uh, but I, I don't think he's really hearing the issues that Jenny's been trying to bring up. And I'm betting that she's probably been trying to bring them up for a while, and we're just getting a chance to look in here and visit with it now. 
I have to say that I also personally kind of find it insulting that he thinks a nice dinner and a strand of paroles and a violinist are going to make up for the issues his role in this administration has caused for him and his wife. Uh, Now, I did feel for him naturally when she left, but I honestly can't believe that anyone would see this as Jenny's fault. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you do you blame Jenny on this? What do you think? Again, send me an email, sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-669-1840. And I guess that's the last bit about this particular clip, so we'll move on to the fourth clip where Leo goes to Hoynes and tells him about the 802 bill and what needs to be done, and he also tells Hoynes about his wife. And then we find out that both he and Hoynes are recovering alcoholics. Dun, dun, dun. Then, during the meeting to figure out Toby's situation, Leo lies about Jenny, and Bartlett makes an appearance, and he happens to be whacked out on pain medication due to his back. Meanwhile, Hoynes seizes an opportunity to make 802 a personal political victory for himself when he talks to Tillinghouse. What did you need to see me about? Um, I came in to talk to you about 802. We lost five votes. I know. We got four of them back, but, uh, I was stupid with Richardson. And now it's Tillinghouse, so I came in to talk to you about that, and, Leo, uh, are you feeling okay? Jenny and I are splitting up, and it just happened, and I'm feeling a little, um... Janine? I could just have a glass of water. Janine, can you, you give me a glass of ice water, please? Anyway, I'll see Tillinghouse. Yeah. I'll see him tomorrow morning. He'll deliver him. It's a done deal. I don't need to tell you we need this win. I think we're home. Thanks, John. I want you to know the president and I appreciate it. Leo, do you mind if I ask you a question? When was the last time you went to a meeting? AA? What meeting could I possibly go to? Mine. John, tell me you are not showing your Leo, face. Leo, I have got my own meeting every week at the downstairs office here at the OEOB at 11 p.m. There are nine of us. There's an agent outside. The whole thing looks like a card game. Do I have enemies in that room? All our people. I had no idea. Neither will anyone else. You should think about it. What's going on? Hoynes is having breakfast with Tillinghouse. Sarah Wisson slut gave him the jacket on July 3rd. I really thought a nice byproduct of not going out with you anymore would be that you wouldn't yell at me anymore. That was a bit unrealistic, wasn't it? Where's the president? Haven't seen him. Leo, how'd it go? What do you mean? Last night. Oh, uh, great. She liked the choker? Yeah. And the violinist? She ate it up, so... Good. (laughs) Good. Great. Great. Where's the president? His back is pretty bad today. He canceled the morning. He'll stay in bed and make some calls. We should move this to my... Hey! Mr. President, I thought you were staying in bed. Oh, I feel fine. Uh, Maybe you should get back to the residence. Hmm? Before I go, please, let me just say this. I'm seriously thinking about getting a dog. Well, feel better, Mr. President. You might want to mention to Josh Lyman that congressmen don't appreciate being bullied like ill-behaved school children. Yes, pretty pissed, are they? Behind closed doors are screaming bloody murder and are talking about political retribution. Which is why I'd like very much for you to do the following, Cal. I want you to vote yes on the resolution. John? And you might want to mention this conversation to Representatives Katzenmoyer, O'Bannon, LeBrant, and Wick. Why, John, you do seize the moment, don't you? What's in it for me? Right now? Yeah. Nothing? Then why am I handing you a personal political victory? Because I'm going to be President of the United States one day, and you're not. So, I found this scene with Hoynes and Leo to be very, very interesting and maybe a little bit revealing about politics. I mean, this meeting with with Leo and Hoynes is amazing because 
we know that by the end of this episode, Hoynes really kind of screws the administration by making the passage of this bill kind of a personal political victory for him. And even Leo knows that he's going to do that, I think, because we've been seeing him resisting going to Hoynes until there's no other choice. But then once we get this reveal that they are both recovering alcoholics, and that is where the politics stop. And I think politicians generally like each other, whether they disagree with each other or not. Some hate each other, I'm sure. Uh, but here, no matter what, the politics stop completely when it comes to this issue. And this was done so nonchalantly that the first time I saw this episode, I actually had to go back and rewatch this scene because I trying to figure out why would Hoynes help Leo in this manner only to screw him over in another way. And I do feel that the truth is, is that that's part of what the philosophy of Alcoholics Anonymous is. That's what an AA meeting and AA members are all about. I mean, for those people in those meetings, there has to be a complete level of trust about the subject of those meetings. And there has to be a complete trust, at least in regards to that issue, within the community that helps one another. Or else there's really no point in having any of those meetings in the first place. Right? I mean, that's why it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I love that at least on this level, no matter how much Hoynes may dislike Leo or vice versa, um, when it comes to their alcoholism, there is no politics at all. Uh, I would certainly hope that it would be that way for lots of government people having meetings like this in D.C. Now, as for what Hoynes does in regards to the Tillinghouse thing, well... I mean, you can look at that as being pretty deplorable. But, again, we're just not sure yet why he has such a problem with Bartlett. So there's still, at least to this point perhaps, a benefit of a doubt that you got to give to Hoynes. Or am I wrong? What do you think? I mean, he's definitely not a good guy as far as the rest of our characters go. But I don't know if I want to hate on Hoynes until we find out his reasons for being the way he is first. Then we can decide. And once again, uh, you have to give him kudos for helping Leo because any alcoholic would probably have trouble dealing with the kind of 24 to 48 hours that Leo has been having. Um, so it's good that John recognized that and offered to help. And, uh, as far as uh, the meeting about Toby in the Oval Office where Bartlett comes in all whacked out, I am left a lot of that out. Again, sorry about that. It was mainly for time. Um, but I'll just comment on, on the scene as a whole. And it was fun to see Bartlett all high uh, on his back medicine. Uh, it was it was a little bit um, over the top again, uh, but that's the Sorkin way. And the solution for Toby that Sam actually comes up with uh, one would think could definitely save Toby in terms of perception, right? I'm not all that certain that it'll save him from being investigated for tampering with the stock market, though. Uh, and maybe that's why Sam said you should go ahead and get a lawyer earlier. Uh, but uh, in his own way, he kind of screws Toby over, makes him pay for what he's done. Uh, and, and, and it mostly comes off as, as humorous, but you get the feeling that Toby's going to be all right. Um, I also generally left most of the Josh and Mandy or the Josh declaration stuff out of this, out of these clips too. And most of that was pretty easy to cut for me because I think you all already know how I feel about the dynamic that, that Sorkin is trying to play with Mandy or with Mandy and Josh and, um, the the gifts that Josh gets, I cut that out. You know, the gifts he gets because of some woman. It, it, it seemed a little unrealistic to me and didn't really matter. Especially since the woman just never gets mentioned again. It's just a gag. It's a gag for gag's sake. And, and I didn't feel any real need to include any of that. But after the meeting with uh, Tillinghouse, uh, Hoynes is sitting on a pedestal, really. And that brings us to our fifth clip. We're in this final clip. The White House staff watches the vote, and even though they get their victory for the bill being passed, it's Hoynes who ends up looking good. Leo admits defeat on the strength front, but assures everyone, and then he goes to attend Hoynes' AA meeting, and Hoynes is stopped before leaving for that meeting by Josh, 
who calls him out on the play, and Hoynes welcomes the realization. The restrictions, while not considered sweeping, do include the Mini 9 and the Rutger 14. Again, White House senior aides had hoped that this would serve as a much-needed victory for the president, but it's the vice president who seems to be receiving most of the credit from some congressional Democrats. Quick to praise Vice President John Hoyt for stepping in and securing the Mark Richardson, leader of the Congressional Black Caucus, a man, I should add, who's seldom at a loss for words, had no comment tonight. None. You have to ask yourself, is this an intentional snub to his old friend, Jed Bartlett? Unbelievable. I don't believe it. You loosen the ketchup bottle and he pops the top off. And keeps the ketchup. Sorry, Leah. We saw this one coming through the Holland Tunnel. We got what we deserved. It was hubris, and we got what we deserved. Night, everyone. Listen, we won. Where's the president? He's asleep. Welcome, Toby. Welcome now. Let's leave it till tomorrow, Toby. Leave it till tomorrow. Sir, uh, Josh Lyman is here. He was wondering if he could see you a moment. Sure. Evening, Mr. Vice President. Josh, nice victory. Are you talking about the bill or are you talking about my smoking jacket? <laughs> I heard about that. No, I was talking about the bill. It's a crappy law. Nah. No, it is. I should know. I helped write it. You did very well. I'd say it's roughly the equivalent of fighting the war against tobacco by banning certain color matchbook covers. <laughs> well, these things happen slowly. I'd say you did well, sir. In fact, you may be the only one who did. I just came by to say congratulations. Mr. Vice President. Right, Janine. I'm on my way. Josh. Yes, sir. Welcome to the NFL. Something I can help you with, Mr. McGarry? Yeah, I'm here for the card game. This whole thing, I, I can only imagine that makes a new watcher, it certainly did me, wonder what the heck Hoynes is up to politically. Uh, all I can tell you is that as someone who's seen the whole series, it will become clear in time, I assure you. Maybe, i tell you what I'll do. If you've watched the series, just to prove that I know what I'm talking about, because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I've got that chip on my shoulder. Anyway, uh, I will have a special spoiler section after our in music. So if you are watching the series for the first time, you won't want to listen to that. I'll give you plenty of warning after the in music. Uh, but I'll get some of this, all of this stuff that I've been kind of alluding to over the last couple episodes off of my chest up to this point. Um, so okay, Hoynes is just one of, of many things that we can talk about in that section. And we'll do that after the end music. As far as Leo goes, uh, given the kind of week that he's having, I'm sure even though he says to everyone that they got what they deserved, I'm kind of betting that he's just glad to have it all behind him. Uh, and I think it's really good that he just, he does decide to go to the meeting. Uh, and again, that shows that level of trust that, you know, no matter what kind of politics Leo and, and Hoynes are playing, that this is a whole other matter. And he realizes that he needs help right now. And it's good to see him show up there. Once again, I think that you see that Josh is, is on it politically because he figures out that Hoynes is doing something and he goes to call him out on it. But the thing is, is that I wonder if he's not going there more or less because he feels guilty about what happened. 
because he really helped hand this victory to Hoynes with all of his bullying. Uh, be it inadvertent or not, uh, Hoynes was able to capitalize on that because Josh chose to strong arm everybody. So um, it doesn't make me like Josh any less. Uh, it was a surprising move, and I can see how you have to have that kind of bully in your White House probably from time to time. But I think it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, Josh, uh, again, knowing these things politically, sometimes does really well with that. But in this case, um, did really bad with that until the end. And that's it for the clips. So that's it for my discussion of the episode. I'll give you my rating in just a moment. So once again, I rate things on a 10 scale, kind of a special 10 scale where certain criteria has to be met in order to get to a certain number. You can find that at sorkincast.wordpress.com under the the ratings tab or ratings page. And this week I gave it a 7.7, a slightly better than average episode. Uh, Anything with Hoynes is better on a rewatch for me as opposed to seeing it for the first time. And that that's just my opinion. Uh, but anytime there's a Hoynes episode, I, it tends to bump it up, even if the rest of the episode wouldn't have made it into the sevens. The Hoynes stuff always bumps it up for me. Uh, because, like here, the Toby thing was a little flat, because it, it, I guess on a first watch it would be more interesting for Toby, because you have to figure out whether he was really involved in anything or not. And um, the rest of it, you know, all of the, the financial disclosure, especially the Mandy and, and Josh stuff, I'm just so sick of that already. I hate to be such a downer about that uh, because I do like both of those actors. Uh, and I do understand what type of caricatures that Sorkin is trying to make with these two characters. But nonetheless, um, I don't need to be beat over the head with it every single week. Um, now, Leo's story was, of course, depressing, but it was also really good drama. And I'll just, just as a final note uh, on my 7.7, I'll just ask, can we get more Margaret, please? And that's going to be it for this week's discussion. Next week, we'll be reviewing Season 1, Episode 5, The Crackpots and These Women. And remember, you can contact the podcast by email, sorkincast at gmail.com. Or you can uh, call the Rewatching Good TV listener line, 314-669-1840. Or you can tweet at SorkinCast. You can find all of those links at SorkinCast.wordpress.com. And I asked you guys a lot of questions. I want your opinion on this stuff. So feel free to send it to me. And as long as you get any feedback in uh, right after the release of the 11th episode of West Wing, uh, and that'll be the 11th episode of this podcast, then it'll be in in time for the feedback podcast and I'll make sure to include your thoughts in that feedback podcast which is episode 12 and that's going to do it for me this is Matt thanks for listening don't forget we will have a spoiler section for those of you who have watched the whole series after the end music take care Alrighty, the end music is over, and you're still here. This is your last chance. If you are watching the series for the first time, or if you haven't at least gotten through, let's say, season five of The West Wing, then you probably don't want to be here if you don't want to be spoiled. I will count down from five, and then I'm going to start talking about some spoiler stuff. So you have been warned. Five, four, three, two... One. Okay, now, for weeks I've been pointing to certain things and have been having to keep it somewhat spoiler-free in order to keep anybody who's newly watching this series interested. Uh, I don't want to spoil them. But I do want to look at a few things that those of us who have seen uh, at least through Season 5 know right now about some of these scenes. And I guess I'll address this week's episode first since it's fresh in our minds. Um, Hoynes is actually just doing politically what he's supposed to do. 
because we find out later on in the series that Hoynes and the president at some point during the campaign had a conversation that Bartlett would only be on for one term. And that was a promise that he had made to his wife so that he could run without disclosing about his MS. So if in the very first episode, a senator is starting an exploratory committee, that's got to be some kind of wake-up call for Hoynes as well to start maneuvering himself to make sure that once there was a Bartlett announcement about no second term, that John would automatically become the front runner or would be in a position to become the front runner for the nomination. Now, I know that this doesn't really speak to the tension between John and Leo or even between John and Bartlett directly. Um, instead, the root of that tension is the fact that in the last election, John was the front runner until Bartlett got in the race and, and Bartlett asked John to be the VP nominee and actually told John about the MS. And that naturally pissed Hoynes off because Bartlett had then won the nomination from him without disclosing about the MS. And there was a big deal about that. And we're going to get some of that in flashbacks in, in future seasons, uh, as those of you who have been watching the show know. Um, it's also kind of important for us to remember that during season one, Leo doesn't even know about the Bartlett MS, right? So because John is making these political moves based on, you know, whatever conversations he and Bartlett had in the past that Leo actually doesn't know about, then Leo is naturally going to be pissed at Hoynes because he thinks that Hoynes is just trying to pull the rug out from under him. And Leo, of course, is the guy who has spent so much time getting Bartlett elected and and all of that. And then you have this VP undermining everything for what Leo can't figure out as any apparent reason. Uh, so that understands why Leo doesn't like Hoynes so much. And... Uh, as far as the MS goes, since we're talking about that now, um, I've brought up a couple of little things in prior podcasts and over the last few episodes, like Tolliver's medical examination. You have to wonder if that medical examination itself kind of helped raise the president's pulse a little bit, not just talking with the Joint Chiefs. There's got to be some anxiety for Bartlett there that Tolliver might find something out. And, you know, the whole temperature joke the 56 degrees, oh, is that Fahrenheit? Uh, that kind of irked me a little bit because we'll f find out later on that the, the fever can be detrimental to an uh, MS patient. I guess by avoiding the actual giving of a temperature is maybe, uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you feel like that that's proof that Sorkin had a plan for an MS reveal this early on? Because he didn't want to bring anything up that way? Or could he have just said, well, 98.6 or whatever? And here's another reason why I ask that. When Charlie figures out that the president left his glasses in the private study, is it that Bartlett had a memory lapse like he sometimes has uh, when his symptoms progress later on in the series? Uh, would, I mean, do you guys think that Sorkin is laying clues as far back here that we can go back and look and pick up on? Or do you think that they're just happy coincidences? And I would love to hear your thoughts on that as well. So that's going to conclude the spoiler discussion for this week. But if you have any thoughts on any of this stuff, feel free to send me an email, sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-669-1840, or you can tweet me at sorkincast. This is Matt. Take care.